check I got today, and you know, I flipped this house for this much money, and blah, blah, and I'm just like, shut up. It's just, because the people who are really doing that shit, who really do it, who have actually built a business that are real, that have real success, real freedom, they don't, you will never see one of those people doing that shit, ever. None of them, because I know a lot of those people, and all the real guys, none of them post like that. They don't do it, so like. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. I get the privilege today of interviewing Curtis Cooper Smith, the man who has flipped over a thousand homes and then even flipped his flipping business uh, and sold that as well. He's built a community of investors and, and agents that he's coaching, 25 one-on-one agent uh, uh, coaching clients, a huge community that he's building. He's passionate, obviously, about real estate and real estate investing. So, Curtis, I couldn't think of anybody better to bring on the show to talk about investing as an agent and as an investor. So thank you so much for coming on. Take us into it, man. Like, Give us a little bit like of a brick by brick play of like, how did you build this business where you're flipping over a thousand homes? Okay. So I'll be honest. It wasn't flip. We sold a thousand houses, but yeah. we didn't actually like flip all of those. I flipped about, oh, I want to say 25 to 30 houses, like technically flipping them, like fixing them up and that kind of that part. But I don't want to leave people to think I flipped a thousand because that's a, that would be a lot. Yeah. Um, but I have sold a lot. So um how we built it in the beginning i just started off as a regular realtor i was just selling people's personal houses um you know going that route and i actually got my license originally because i wanted to get into rental properties um i bought my very first house when i was 19. um it was kind of a long story but a lady i worked with in texas she had gotten this house in a divorce and she just wanted to get rid of this house and it was in 2008 or 9 and um basically it was it was a house on four acres a two bed two bath house and she wanted forty five thousand dollars for it and i didn't know anything about real estate and i also didn't have any money but i knew that that was a good deal so i went to every little bank in town just asking them how i could buy this house and this older guy that was the president of this bank he said look i um i we can't give you a loan but i will give you a personal loan if you open up your account with us because he knew the business that i was working for at the time and uh i said okay great so i bought this place my payment was 263 dollars a month and i just thought I'm set. Like I've got this place to live for 200 bucks. Like, you know, that was all the further I'd thought about it. Um, but then when I moved to Oklahoma, I ended up renting that house out and I read rich dad, poor dad, and it just kind of opened my mind up to stuff. So, uh, I got my license to start investing anyways, and then learned, you know, you can actually make a lot of money selling real estate because I didn't even know a realtor when I got my license. It was, all of it was brand new to me. Um, so, you know, just started off doing the normal stuff. But when I started, um, I wasn't from there, so I didn't know a whole lot of people. And I feel like I kind of a, brought a blue collar mindset to a white collar world in the sense of I was used to working hard all the time. like. I was raised on a ranch, and so 
I was just used to it. Whereas I feel like most realtors, um, they just want to kind of sit back and wait for business to come to them. You know, they want to post on social media every once in a while. They think they know enough people. And so they don't really work. And so I just, I did an open house every Sunday for three years. Um, I started sending direct mail right away. Um, I cold called Fizbo's. I would go to Lowe's and um, I would literally, I would go in the electric aisle and I would just try to start conversations with people about literally anything because it was nobody taught me this but it was my thought was if they're at Lowe's they either own a house or they're in construction either way they're going to know people that want to sell a house so that's a great place to meet people um so basically I just kind of did a little bit of everything and it just kind of pieced together but as the business started coming together I uh, really started working with a lot of fix and flip guys. That's how I got started working with investors. There was, um, I got a couple of pretty big contacts that were flipping a lot of houses and I got to be known as the guy that was, you know, working with a lot of investors. And so that just led into the investment firm as well. Were a lot of these investors local or were they out of state? Yeah. In the beginning they were all local and actually, what had happened was one of my, the biggest, one of the biggest investors I was working with, he was flipping a lot of houses and um, he ended up running a Ponzi scheme. He was uh, doing 50, 50 deals with out of state investors where they would fund purchase price and rehab. And um, he ended up stealing a lot of that money. And so all of these, not all of them, but a few of these guys that he had stolen money from, had came to me when this all kind of started coming apart and we're like, Hey, we run funds. We need you to help us sell these, but we also want to start buying rentals. And so I, all I really, I mean, I knew rentals, but I didn't like know rentals until that had happened. And um, so I started helping some of those guys. They started sending me their friends and it became a really big business. And that's where most of those units came from. I mean, I was selling anywhere between 50 to 75 deals a year until we had started the investment firm. And it that's what really blew up <clears throat> the units. You're talking about 50 to 75 deals a year before you blew up. What did mm -hmm. it look like after you blew up? Um, after we blew up, um, what had happened was we... We were in the beginning, we were just helping these guys buy deals on the MLS. And at that time, especially in Oklahoma City, you could still buy 1% deals on the MLS. And so, uh, you know, we were just sending them deals that way. But we learned really quickly that a lot of these deals, even though they would look like a deal, when we would get into inspections and that kind of stuff, we would find out there was a lot of hidden stuff. And so I realized, crap, we got to find these deals off market. We have to get to these sellers first. And at that point, I mean, there was a few people wholesaling here, but I mean, it was not, nobody was talking about it online. It was not a big deal at all. So, uh, when we started finding deals off market, it was like, I didn't even know anyone to call to ask, how do we do this? And there wasn't like bigger pockets was a thing, but 
you know, there was a few like one-off podcasts here and there talking about it, but not enough that you could really learn. And so it was very difficult to really learn how to do this. But once we started finding deals, we created a system where we would find these deals and we were specifically marketing to sellers who owned portfolios of houses. So we would go to them and say, hey, your options right now, if you want to sell, are one, you're going to sell it with the tenant in it and you're going to get pennies on the dollar selling it to a local investor. Two, you're going to have to fix this house up and sell it on the MLS. We are a middle ground where we can get you retail prices with your tenant staying in the house. But the kicker is we need to sell these one at a time. So I would list deals or I would list houses that at like 30 to 100 houses at a time. Like the biggest portfolio we sold was around 215 houses. It was a guy out of New York that had bought a bunch in 2011. We sold all of those. Um, but I would list these big packages of houses and then we would send an email every Wednesday with between four to 10 properties every Wednesday. And it would typically take about an hour and we would have all of those houses sold for the week. We kind of created a false sense of scarcity. And um, man, it was, it was a really cool business. You know, it, it wouldn't work right now because the prices are too high. But at that time, you know, we were the first ones around here to really systemize and build a business around finding investment real estate. And that's why it really blew up the way it did. And having essentially those hedge fund buyers on the other end. Now, was it the hedge funds that were buying or was it? No, no, it was all, we didn't work with a single hedge fund buyer the entire time. I didn't even know about hedge fund buyers until like 2021. They were all one-off people in uh, main, most of our clients lived on the West Coast. We had some on the East Coast, but they were, you know, people that worked for tech companies, you know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, living in California, they couldn't find a deal. And so these people would have, you know, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in savings. We could help them buy four to ten houses, you know, doing the twenty percent down. And that was the majority of people we worked with. It wasn't like big firms or anything like that. Yeah, incredible. And so obviously that continues to scale, and then you got to a place where you decided to sell that business. Can you tell me a little bit about what led to the decision to sell? Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, the uh, the business had get, gotten really big. Um, we had a property management company. We uh, we built some duplex neighborhoods. Uh, we had a construction company with it that was doing like our own repairs and you know a lot of that kind of stuff. And you know, to be honest, when especially when I got started selling regular real estate, the big push was. If you can build a big enough business, your stress level is going to go down. You don't have to work as much and you know, life will be so much easier if you can just build this big business. And it was the exact opposite. I mean, it was the bigger we got, the more we had to sell to cover overhead. And, you know, it was just, there's just so many things going on everywhere. And we had good systems in place and that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, things with my partner started going really bad with my business partner. Um, and 
I had went through a divorce uh, about a year before that. And, you know, when I went through the divorce, I just, I kind of looked up one day and it was like, I own a bunch of houses. I am making a ton of money and I am freaking miserable. Like I'm working all the time. And, um, you know, I just, I wasn't enjoying my life. And I was like, you know, there's no point in doing all this shit if I don't actually enjoy what I'm doing every day. And so, although I didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, I just knew that I'd got to a place where I didn't want to do that anymore. And so it was, uh, it was very hard though, because, you know, the, I had spent my whole life building this or, you know, my adult life building this company, you know, even before we got in the investment side, all of those people that were working with me on the retail side came to work for us over here. And, uh, it was my identity also, you know, that was, we got a lot of like notoriety and stuff, especially around, you know, Oklahoma city. And, uh, so I didn't really want to give it up. So when I decided to sell my, even with the buyout was that I was going to stay on working there for two years, which I was happy with. I, I was perfectly fine with that. And, um, right around, right before COVID hit my business partner, who had bought me out completely. The problem was a lot of those people who worked for us, I had hired them. And so they didn't really want to listen to anybody else. And there was a lot of just not running things the way I had done it. People weren't happy. And so they thought the best thing to do would be to push me completely out of the company and that would make things better. It did not. Uh, COVID had hit and, you know, I ran all the sales. I, I had always ran the sales side and then I had worked with all of our sellers. I found all the deals. So when things got bad, I mean, it got real bad and, you know, we ended up working stuff out. I came back, helped, you know, get some deals going and stuff. But, you know, at the time it was, uh, it felt like a death really selling the company. It felt, it was it felt very horrible, honestly, but looking back, it was the best thing I ever did. It's crazy how some of the worst things that we feel today, like lead us like into a much, much better place. Like, was it really hard to maintain relationships with a lot of the people after the sale? Uh, no, actually, because, um, they hated my business partner and the way everything went down afterwards. Uh, there were 12 people working there when I left and all of them, but three quit. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was really rough. Um, and so, I mean, I still have a good relationship with all of the, with all of them, not my business partner, especially cause we had to go through a lawsuit, <laughs> but, um, I still have a good relationship with all of them and especially even all of our clients. I'm still pretty close with most of our bigger clients that we worked with and that kind of stuff too. So, but it's just, it's hard. I mean, I, even if you have, even if you sell a business and things are good, uh, man, it, it just, it's hard to own a business and have it not be your full identity. It just is. It's hard. And when you talk about the other side being much better, I mean, obviously exiting a business relationship that maybe is not on the best footing, but was it really just moving into a business model that's got a lot less chaos going on? Yeah. Um, so when all of that went down, I, 
it was a it was a pretty dark time for me because I had that non compete. So it was like all I knew to do was to sell real estate and find deals. And I look up one day and I can't do the two things that I am the best at that I know to make money. And so I sat down one day and I just I asked myself a couple questions. One was I wanted I, I realized that for most people, when they start a business, they start a business because they need the money. They, you know, they're tired of working a job or they're broke and they need money. So they start a business and they feel they have to spend all of their time building that business. You don't really have that option. You know, it's like I work all the time because I don't want to starve to death, you know, and then they they it builds and they look up one day and they're still working the same way they did when the business when they started the business even though they don't have to and so i wanted to build a business around my life instead of building my life around my business so that was one and the second thing was i asked myself what it what is my perfect average day you know, we spend 90% of our lives working and most of the day working is just putting out fires, you know, dealing with crap that's blowing up all the time. We're just being pulled a million different directions. And so I was like, what do I actually want my day to look like? And so I answered those questions. And then the hardest part was as soon as I had answered those and decided what I wanted, I got a bunch of opportunities to do things that did not fit into any of those things <laughs> that I decided. Um, and so I took a huge pay cut. I mean, I did like, um, but I knew that if I could just stick to this, it didn't matter short term that I wasn't making as much money. Eventually I could make more money. And I, and when I got to that place, I would actually enjoy my life more than, you know, than what I had been. Yeah. And you talk about perfect average day, which I really like the fact that the word average is in there. I, I interviewed a gal named Annie who talks about like the success formula is basically an optimized daily performance, right? Like, you know, sustained over time. So mm -hmm. talk to me about how that formula came out uh, as a perfect average, as opposed to like, that's different, right? Than just repeating a perfect day. Yeah. Um, so for me, I wanted to know, I asked myself, like, when do I want to wake up? When do I want to start working? Um, how long do I want to work every day? Who do I want to work with? Um, all of those types of things. And one big thing was I have always known I'm not a morning person. I never have been. I have forced, I forced myself to do it for a while. Um, and I just, I hate it. I, I'm not productive in the morning. I am way more productive at night. And so, you know, that was the first thing was like, I want to work from home, number one. Number two is I do not want to have to be up or wake up at freaking six o'clock in the morning. I don't want to have to be at an office or, you know, be somewhere at 9 a.m. dressed nice every day. I don't want to do that. And that was the first thing that I knew. I don't want to do that. Um, the next thing was I knew I was really good at finding deals. I had done it for a long time. 
And I was like, how can I, you know, find deals for more people without building something where I'm actually just having to sell all these deals? So I had went to a few people I knew that bought a lot and just said, hey, if I would do your marketing for you, talk to your leads and negotiate these deals, would you buy them and then just pay me every deal that you closed? And they were like, yeah. So I just charge a monthly fee to do their marketing and then was you know, getting paid every time they bought a house. And then I had made a couple posts saying that I would help people one-on-one -on -one who are realtors, investors, whatever, not really thinking it would go anywhere. And it really took off um, of people that took me up on it. So pretty quickly, you know, I went from not really knowing what I wanted to do to having these different income streams built around when I wanted to work, who I wanted to work with and, you know, building my life the way I wanted my life to be. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. And I mean, this obviously has a tremendous amount of scalability. Like, did you continue on each of these clients to say, I'll, you know, close these deals for you? Or at a certain point, was it just marketing? Because obviously if you're, I mean, you can only do so many markets if you're doing the calls. Yeah. Um, basically, I knew that it wasn't going to be a long-term thing that I wanted to do like with them. It was just kind of something to get me, it got me something going in the beginning. Um and none of them really, I, it just, it kind of, they just kind of started fizzling out because it was like the deals got more expensive as the market went up, uh, deals got harder to find. It was just kind of like, hey, I will pour into this more, but like, we're going to have to be spending more money to be finding the same amount of deals. Do you guys want to start spending more money? What do you want to do? And they just kind of back, they just kind of pulled out, which was fine with me on that side of it. Um, that's how that kind of it basically just kind of ended. It wasn't like any kind of a big deal with any of those. And that's sort of morphing into coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is a lot of successful agents and investors go to coaching, but not all of them are really great coaches. I mean, coaching is a very different discipline and skill set than, you know, being a successful deal finder. For you, was coaching a better fit or did you have to like, 
you know, go through the process of developing the skill set of being a coach? It was the most natural thing I've ever done in my life. Literally, it was, I didn't know what it would be like, but I have had a coach from the very beginning, like without, after about the first year I was in real estate, I hired my first coach. So I have had at least one coach for almost 10 years now. And so I knew what it was like. I knew what a good coach was like. I knew what a bad coach was like. I knew what I wanted it to feel like. And I also knew the type of people I wanted to work with um, because, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people want to be a coach or they want to start a community or whatever. And I have watched, especially here in Oklahoma City, I've watched at least a dozen people try to do it, you know, still selling real estate, but wanting to be a coach also and really promoting it and all this stuff and never takes off. I mean, I've literally never even seen anybody last a year doing it here. So when I even made that post, I thought, I don't think people in Oklahoma City really want this. So I'm not book. I'm not planning on this working out. Uh, but I think that it worked for me because I had sold so much real estate for so long that people knew that I actually knew what I was talking about. I wasn't just some older person that had retired or some online guru type of guy that hadn't really done shit. I, they knew I'd actually done it. Um, and a huge thing was I had been sharing on social media for a long time. Um, even before I did any of this, I, I just kind of enjoyed sharing on social media and I would, you know, share stuff I was learning, you know, different stuff like that. And I'd been pretty open about some of the struggles I've had and things I've been through. And, um, so right off the bat, I, I got, most of my clients are, are big producers. I don't really have anybody that is new or, you know, I don't get the calls of, hey, I can't really sell anything. Can you help me? That's not my client anyways. Like my people, um, like right now I have 21 people that were in the top 100 realtors in OKC last year. And I also decided that instead of going, I wanted to go deep instead of going wide. Instead of working with people from all over the country and all of that, I knew that people in OKC knew who I was, knew what I had done, and I had a lot of good relationships here. And so I was like, I'm just going to focus here. If I get people from other markets that want or need help, I can you know, take those on as they come, but I'm going to go deep here where I am. And that proved to be really, really good for me. Like that, that was a really smart decision that I didn't really know was smart at the time. Well, and I mean, it's so smart because you got obviously proven action takers. And so especially yeah. if coming into the frame of like, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Obviously, there's enough trust there. They're going to trust what you're going to say, but also they've got the ability and probably financial resources to take action. I'm very mm -hmm. curious if you're willing to share what a lot of the advice has been. Is it is it kind of like these sessions or installations of these different pillars of the business? Is it more mindset? Like, what are the things that are really moving the needle for these agents? Um, I tell people that like what I do is I'm a therapist for, for their business, for people's business. And every single call is different. Literally every call is different. However, 
some of the main things are always around some form of system, uh, some form of controlling your time. Like I call it controlling your time instead of managing your time because if you don't control it, other people are going to control your time for you. And um, the other thing is most of the time when people have a business problem, it is usually something personal either within themselves, their relationships, whatever that's going on. And if you can fix that, the business fixes itself because it is very hard to be, um, be really trying to grow a business and really trying to do something if your, your family or your personal life is a mess. It's just, it's nearly impossible. It's just too stressful when your personal life's a mess. Um, so a lot of the conversations, especially with people that, you know, are higher achievers is more about like, how do I shut my brain off? Like, I feel guilty all the time. If I'm working, I feel guilty that I'm not at home. When I'm at home, I feel guilty that I'm letting my clients down. How do I shut it off? And like, actually shut my brain off. That's a, that's a big question that pe- they're not even questions, just a big th- topic that we're talking about all the time because the, there's not a single answer to any of those questions. And the thing about coaching is that if you want, you know, tactical advice of like how to actually like farm a neighborhood or how to do this thing, there's free stuff on YouTube everywhere. YouTube, on podcasts social media, you can get the answers to those questions, but you can't get personalized help that it, because everybody's situation is so different and there's not a one size fits all answer to a lot of that kind of stuff that people deal with that are the things that really make a difference that people really need help with. You can't get those solutions online or, you know, from some random place. And even the information that's out there is not usually being pushed out by people that have really done it. Um, I mean, especially done it at your level. Um, you know, what I found is that social media seems to be filled with either people that love creating content or they don't. Um, and oftentimes people that love creating content are more about creating content than producing in their, in their business. It's a very interesting phenomenon as far as, as far as that space. Yeah. It really drives me crazy because I have people all the time that are like, I'll, you know, people will fill out to be in my group or something. And then I'll, I'll get on the first call with them and they'll be like, Hey, um, I see people post about you all the time. And I know a lot of people that, you know, but why do people follow you? Or like, what did you do? Because I don't talk about it. Like I feel awkward saying like, Oh, I've sold this many houses or I've done this. It feels awkward to me. I'm like, because it was just what I did. I mean, like, yes, I, I guess you could say it's impressive, but I just don't, but I see all these other people that are constantly like, look at this check I got today. And you know, I flipped this house for this much money and blah, blah. And I'm just like, shut up. It's just because the people who are really doing that shit, who really do it, who have actually built a business that are real, that have real, success, real freedom, they don't, you will never see one of those people doing that shit ever. 
none of them, because I know a lot of those people and all the real guys, none of them post like that. They don't do it. So like, I don't ever want to be that guy because I'm like, I have actually done this. I don't, I don't need to flex to people. Other people can talk about me, I guess. Like, I don't want to be that guy. A hundred percent. I can relate to you like crazy on that. And you know, like, I think part of it might be the zone of genius. Like, I think obviously when you're stepping into something that's so natural to you, it's feel like it feels weird bragging maybe because, you know, maybe we don't want to express an ego, but also because it's like, it's just kind of what, like you said, it's what, what I did, you know, it's like, it's who I am. And so it's like, you know, maybe there's some degree of like people that are bragging. I mean, it could be a personality alignment, but also it could be like, maybe this feels really hard to them, right? Like making that check felt really hard. Whereas for people like you and I, yeah. you get in your zone of genius. You just like for me shooting seven or eight podcast episodes in a day is just something that I do. It's something that I love. I don't think twice about it. Like, um, did you like, did, was there ever a struggle for you in the beginning of this? Or is it just always like you just went right to it? Um, the hardest part about growing like a coaching business or, you know, helping people in general is you can't sell it. Um, and I see why these people who post their checks and that kind of stuff do that is because that is really the only way to sell people on buying your course or your coaching program or whatever you're, but you end up attracting people that are broke um, that don't really know what they're doing and they like idolize you. I don't want anybody idolizing me. And so the hard part about, you know, growing this, especially in the beginning was if people don't really want help and don't really want to change, there's no point in working in me working with them anyways. So it's almost like you just kind of have to like put out feelers of like, just kind of letting people know what you do or that you can do it. And then if they're ready, they'll, they'll reach out to you, but it's not something you can like do a, a cold, a cold pitch to somebody to, you know, Hey, like, do you want help in your business? They either want it or they don't. And if they want it, they will tell you. I, I completely agree. And it's like, you obviously have ended up with some really high producing people. What would you say now, looking in hindsight, is a minimum production level, like for someone wanting to be a, like a high ticket coach, like kind of guys like you and I, where we're like, we're not flaunting our, you know, our successes. What's a minimum level production that's a good spot for a coach to take on? Um, meaning uh, like a minimum production that the coach should have done or does do or a minimum the for the, oh, the client. Yeah. Um, you know, it really depends. Like, I think for realtors, I think that if you aren't selling more than like 20 to 30 deals a year, it's, yeah, uh, man, even saying that I, I could kind of go back and I could kind of go backwards on that too. It depends on what somebody's goal is. And that's what's hard. Like I make people fill out an application not because I'm like, oh, I don't want to work with you, that person. I make them fill out an application because I ask them how much they sold the year before. And realtors have a huge problem with lying about their production. It, it is horrible. And other realtors judge themselves based off the shit they see realtors post on social media. So I have them share that in this 
application along with other stuff. And then I look up their actual production from last year. And if it's way off, I don't call you back. I don't give a crap what you've done, how big you are, whatever. If you're lying about that kind of stuff, I don't want to work with you. Um, so, I mean, I have some people that are single mom or their mothers and, um, they just, they want to sell like 15, 20 deals a year. Their husband has a good job. They just love real estate and they just want to know, like, how do I maximize my time? I don't want to work all the time. I only have this many hours in a day. Can you help me maximize my time? Yes, for sure. The only people I don't really want to work with as far as production level is if you're brand new. If you don't, if you haven't closed, you know, 10 deals at least and at least know what you do to get business, you have to figure that out on your own. No coach is going to really, they'll tell you if they can, but you have to figure that stuff out on your own. And once you kind of have an idea of what you do and how you do it, then a coach can come in and fill in those gaps for you because a good coach should be able to just collapse time. That's the big thing is they'll uh, help you eliminate some of those roadblocks that you get into at times and help your learning curve time be shortened. That's the way I view it at least. You're putting together your perfect average day. How many hours did you decide you wanted to work in that perfect day? So I don't start work as far as like getting on calls until noon. I don't take a call until noon period. The morning is when I like go to the gym, do stuff with my dog, um, you know, reply to emails, do actual real estate stuff that I have going on. And then I don't start calls till noon and I'll do calls until six, six thirty. sometimes. It, it doesn't really bother me, but I'm usually on calls all day long that, that full length. Like every once in a while I'll have like an hour or two in between calls, but, um, that feels like a perfect day to me. You know, I, it's funny because I'll get off the phone sometimes people and they'll be like, I don't know how the hell you do this all day. Even with my clients that are like, gosh, of the stuff that we get into, like, I don't know how you listen to this all day. I'm like, oh, I love it. Like, <laughs> right. I'm just pro I'm just helping people solve problems and it's yeah. fun. And at the end of the day, it's almost like grandparents, right? It's like, it's their, it's their problems. Like, obviously you're actively invested and you want to see the best in them. But I mean, it's like they take their problems home with them um, and, yeah. and you uh, you just get to, you know, enjoy it while they're there and help them out. And I'm very involved. Like I uh, purposely keep it. I don't I don't want to get over 25 one on one clients because, man, I talk to most of my clients at least over text once a week. Like, you know, we may only talk twice or once a month, but on the phone, but we text, I text them a lot depending on what's going on. And, you know, if I have someone that has some real stuff going on, like we'll talk multiple times a week sometimes. Like I hated having coaches that I could only talk to once a month. I would have like a Google number. So I couldn't even text them if I wanted to. And it just seemed like by the time it got time for my call, I had already figured out the shit I needed them for. So it was like, I want to be able to actually be involved and help as much as they want me to, basically. 
Yeah. And I love that because, I mean, the purpose of a coach, as you mentioned earlier, is to collapse time, to minimize mistakes and costs with the mistakes. I would love for to get your insight onto like, I mean, you have had a coach for 10 years. Like kind of give me a quick bullet point list of the things that are key in a coach and the things that are like you must avoid. Um, number one is making sure that they have actually done what you want to do. If they have not done what you want to do, it's to me, I feel like it's kind of a waste of time. Like you can't, I view, I view it as like you're helping, you're leading somebody down a mountain trail. And if you are relying on someone to lead you down this mountain trail, who's never been down that trail before sure they may get you down there but like they may not also so number one is making sure they've actually done what you want them to do number two is that they have empathy um that's the other reason why it drives me crazy seeing these coaches and kind of gurus online that just flex their cars and shit it's like i want to know that you actually care about me that you this is not just you just trying to make some money off of me that like you genuinely want to help me get better and actually care about me. Um, so that'd be number two. And then, I mean, if I had to narrow it down, like to the third reason or the third thing would be someone who you actually have like a genuine rapport with. Like if you don't kind of vibe well with that person on the first call, they're probably not the person for you. And it kind of goes vice versa with me. And like, I've gotten on calls with people that I can just kind of tell up front. It's like, this is like, we're just not a good fit. Like I can just feel it. So if you don't feel like you're a good fit right up front, find somebody else. There's plenty of people that can help you. Totally. What's your vision for your life and business the next 12 to 18 months? Um, so it's kind of cool. I mean, uh, I was telling you at the beginning of this, like I, in a million years, I never thought that I would actually be able to put on events and, you know, do in-person type of stuff. Um, but even when I was a little kid, I always wanted the microphone. Like I used to rodeo growing up and I would announce rodeos starting when I was like 10 years old. I always wanted the mic. And as I got into doing this and I looked around in Oklahoma City, especially, there just weren't events for me to go to. Like nobody else was putting them on. And so I was like, well, if nobody else is putting them on, like I should just put them on myself. But I didn't really think anybody would come. Um, And so I put on my first big conference last year. I had booked a venue that fit 75 people. And I thought, man, maybe I'll get 45 to 50 people to show up at the most. And I got about 225 comments on my first post about it. And I sold out. I ended up getting a bigger venue and sold out a venue for over 300 people, my first big conference. And then that led into, um, with my group, I do uh, masterminds every other month. And then uh, this big this big conference this year, we're having it at the Omni, and there should be around five to six hundred people at it this year. It'll be a huge, huge thing. But as for my vision for it is, I want this group to keep growing, but in a way that it also stays small. Like 
I want to be able to keep doing these masterminds, but um, get more like specialized groups within them to where, you know, we maybe have them broken up by production level or there's a few different ways I can go there. Um, and then with this conference, I like next year, it will be statewide. Um, like right now, it's just for Oklahoma City where I have. Um, how I do it is I bring in people who are experts in each of these different areas in Oklahoma City. So they have to be selling or you know doing something in Oklahoma City, and then they share on panels so that everybody gets to hear what everybody's doing in their actual market. So my vision is this group keeps growing, the conferences keep growing, and I can be able to just pour into more people, but bring more people in also that I can help them to pour into other people also. Pretty incredible. I mean, to think that, you know, a handful of years ago, you never thought this was possible. Now you're filling out 500, 600 people events. It's pretty cool. I mean, 500, 600 is no joke. Um, it is a lot of work. I, I drastically underestimated how much goes into putting on these events. It, they are a, it is, it's a full year. Uh, it's about a six month before adding to it it's a, another full-time job six months going up to it to put these things on it's a lot of work it's incredible curtis thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business i mean all of the things that you've had success at it's pretty wild to see how all these things have translated all the way from coaching to events to investing it's a lot of different skill sets uh pretty amazing how you balance it all guys write down something you learned from today whether it's how do you hire a coach like what's the right coaching setup how do i scale a, a deal business how do i throw events there's a lot of things we've tackled a lot you could write down but write down the most important thing to you share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time if you take steps day by day before you know it you too will be living a life of freedom thank you guys for tuning in we'll catch you on the next episode Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 